0: all of those places that he can open your Bibles please to Matthew chapter 5 this morning talking about the preacher getting shot just because he was out preaching on the street reminds me there in verse 11 there at the close of the Beatitudes the Lord the Lord uh, warned us about the matter of persecution and over and over again, he told his disciples that they were going to be hated, they were going to be persecuted. He never cut them any slack and said, so so I know how difficult and dangerous it's going to be, so I don't even go to that area. You know, just go where it's safe. He, he never said that. He sent sent his church into all of the world to preach the gospel. And after his warning, we know from... Uh, From what the Bible says, the early church suffered great persecution. There's no doubt about that. History bears record of Christians being persecuted. Every Christian at some time in their life needs to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's absolutely unbelievable, mind-boggling to think about what Christians have gone through down through the ages, hated for no reason at all, and... uh, And persecuted beyond anything that our minds can imagine and even much of that back during uh, certain periods of history around the Reformation uh, even coming from so-called Christian organizations and Christian churches literally slaughtering people all simply because they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about that I can't help but think about how sheltered we have been here in America. Uh, We've escaped that severe kind of persecution that others have experienced. And by the way, they still are experiencing in some places in the world today. We live in a bubble. We we, we really don't have any idea of what's going on over in some of those third world countries and what have you. It's, uh, but it's amazing. There are people simply because they are Christians being slaughtered. The women raped. Homes tore apart. All because they're Christians. And yet in America, some way, somehow, we've avoided that kind of persecution. What we haven't avoided is criticism. We've never been able to escape the critics. And whenever you profess Christ as your Savior, when you stand for the Word of God, mark it down, you're going to have enemies, sometimes even in your own family, just like Jesus said, man's enemies shall be those of of his own family. And that's the way it is. Although we live in America, we've escaped this severe persecution that's upon other parts of the world. There's no question about about whether we're going to have critics or not. That's a done deal. We're going to be criticized. We are being criticized. It's never going to stop. And the only question is, how will you respond? How How are we to respond as Christians to the criticism that that we face as heartbreaking as it is we're not going to be able to change most people we're not going to be able to reach the majority of people for Christ I don't read anywhere in my Bible where that's going to happen until the tribulation comes and then all of a sudden all of a sudden things begin to change And until Christ comes and rules and reigns upon this earth, there's going to be criticism. It'll start at a young age for you young people in school. Whenever you stand up for what the Bible teaches, it might be your science teacher that will criticize you publicly. It might be your classmates that will make fun of you out on the schoolyard all because you believe in Jesus and the Bible and stuff. We're going to face criticism, but how are we going to respond to criticism? Since we're not going to be able to change most people, it really doesn't do a lot of good you know, to get in a big argument with people about it. Some people are more concerned about winning the argument than they are in reaching the person. We can get out here and argue till we're blue in the face and fall over for lack of breath and not get anywhere. But here's our response. As Peter put it over in in First Peter chapter three, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you, and he adds this, with meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. That tells me that out of our compassion for those that are lost, we ought to do what we can to convince our critics that we're right. Have an answer for every man. There are going to be people that you know that wonder, what happened to you? Why, why, all of a sudden, you made all of these changes? I know from experience, after receiving the Lord as my Savior, they couldn't figure out why I talked different, why I quit drinking, why I, I, I wasn't the same. I, some of the guys thought I was some kind of a some kind of a nut job that was losing my mind. Because normally, you know, after work, you go out and have a few beers and so forth, and uh, all of a sudden all that stuff. People are going to wonder about you. What happened to you? Why did you change? And that gives us the opportunity to give them an answer for the reason of the hope that we have within us. Over in 1 Timothy, I'll get to our text later, but I want to lay this foundation of us thinking about the matter of our critics and how we deal with our critics. And over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, Be thou an example of the believers in word. Now, he could have just stopped right there and assumed that we knew what he was talking about. But I want you to notice how he pinpoints these things. In word... In conversation, that has to do with our manner of life, our behavior. In charity, that's love. In spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example of the believer. Boy, that would certainly go a long way in you and I being able to reach people for Christ. Be an example of Of the believer. Now look here in Matthew chapter number five at our text, verse forty-three. Jesus said, "Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. How do we convince our critics? Think about it. You know someone that's critical of your stand for Christ. How many of you have a family member you know that has animosity toward you or, or Christianity in general and just basically a critic of Christians? How many, how many of you know someone like that? The rest of you need to get around a little more. <laughs> because believe me, even though you didn't raise your hand, I'll guarantee you, you know some people that they think they think that Christianity is just a crutch that weak people need to lean on. That's their attitude about it. They have no real concern for it. They don't respect your devotion to Christ whatsoever. They think you're a fool for spending your time down at church and giving 10% or more of your money. They They don't understand that at all. We all are going to have our critics. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Bible says, Paul said that any person that lives, what, righteously, that, that what? We're going to suffer persecution. It not, might not be in that severe form, but it'll come in the form of people criticizing you, mocking you, making fun of you. How do we convince our critics that what we have got is the real thing? And and notice how this begins. It begins here with a contrast in our text where he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said. You've heard that it's been said. And there's a contrast between what people say and what, what God says and what people do. Notice the phrase, you have heard that it has been said. That reminds me that we live in a very opinionated world, don't we? We can't get away from it. The, the, you know, the voices clamoring for our attention are everywhere. It doesn't take long whenever you click on something, uh, regardless of any of the news agencies or whatever it is, the, the social pages on uh, on the internet, and uh, there you find somebody criticizing someone about something. People are opinionated. If they can't find something to argue about, they'll, they'll look up something, discover something. They just feel like they haven't really lived until they've got in a, in a debate with someone about something. And opinions can be very strong. There are people that in some parts of the world, as I said, that would slit your throat in a heartbeat just because you profess Christ as your Savior. Wouldn't think a thing about it. People are opinionated. We're going to have to deal with people like that. You work with people. Go to school with people like that. People in your family that are like that. Notice he said, ye have heard that it's been said... People that stating what they believe, what they've heard. But notice when you examine these verses here, he describes the kind of people that we have to deal with. I've underlined them here. Notice, enemies. Them that curse you, hate you, which despitefully use you, persecute you. He describes them as evil, and unjust. I mean, that's a bad bunch of people to live around. It really is. You examine each one of those words, and I want to tell you, uh, it's not good. It's not a pretty picture. Christianity has always had its critics, and they're everywhere. And it's a matter that's serious, as as we uh, are attacked on every hand by. Not only the scientists that's claimed all along that we're wrong about, you know, the matter of creation, but it gets into the politics where there are those that, you know, claim one thing and then turn around and do the opposite. It's even in religion. I've never understood this pope being infallible kind of a thing, and then every few years you get a different pope, and all of a sudden they start retracting the things they claim they believe, and it changed Uh, According to my Bible, truth is truth, and it doesn't change. It's the same Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You and I have to deal with people on a regular basis that repeatedly say, well, there's just too many hypocrites in the church. If you invite people to church, I promise you, if you do that on a regular basis, you're going to hear someone say to you, well, I would, but there are too many hypocrites in the church. And you know, the truth of the matter is, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. The truth of the matter is, that's true. There are too many hypocrites in the church. But that doesn't justify them staying out of the church. Secondarily, when they use that phrase, hypocrites in the church, most of them have no idea what a hypocrite really is. They look at our failures. By the way, there are no no perfect churches. We're all imperfect. And just because you fail doesn't make you a hypocrite. A hypocrite, someone is playing a part. They're putting on a mask, pretending to be what they know they're not. And yet there are those not understanding that say there are too many hypocrites in the church. Just like, well, now I've got some justification for not going there. And believe me when I say, and it's this, been this way in every church I've ever been a part of, I've ever pastored, it's this way in every church... I'll guarantee you there's somebody not coming to church because of someone sitting right here this, this morning. Might be me, might be you, or someone else. They stop coming. They won't come anymore. Or, or, they, or they were invited and they never will come. Just because of my imperfections or your imperfections, they, they refuse to come. How sad it is that sometimes we conduct ourselves in such a way that, that we leave people thinking that they're justified to run from the Lord, away from the Lord, rather than running to the Lord. How do we convince our critics I believe the Lord's dealing with that very issue here in these verses. Here, we can sum it all up by saying it's a matter of love. Without evidence of love, we will never ever be able to convince people that we're really Christians. I mean, the Bible teaches that very clearly. If we don't love others, now some folks don't really understand what real love is all about. You don't love me and they think you know. real genuine love has to do with you doing everything they want to do the way they want to do it when they want to do it. Real love doesn't work that way. Whenever you kids, whenever your dad usually or mom says, all right, bend over and give you a spank and say, this hurts me as much as it does you. Believe me, they're doing it because they love you. Yes. It's out of love. Yes. It's not love for them to take a hands-off approach and say, well, yeah, I love you. You, you, you just discover the world for yourself. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get in your way. That, that's not love. That's, that's abuse. Amen. Amen. Summed up in the word love, Regardless of how high your IQ or how much talent and ability that you have, without love, you're never going to make a good impression on people that would ever that would ever cause them to think I need to become a Christian like that person. Look at verse 43 and verse 44. Here's our responsibility: love your enemies well who are our enemies they're not just people that we don't like you know or people that don't like you or those that are hard to get along with you know some people say well I I, I've just got so many enemies well it's no wonder because you think everybody doesn't agree with you as your enemy, that they're against you. He says, love your enemies. Maybe the best way to, to, to describe them is to notice the way they're described here. And, and note, notice he says, those who curse you. They do that because they're your enemy. They're taking a stance against you. They curse you. They they hate you. They despitefully use you. Persecute you. Go over to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 20. And to sum that up, it tells us that we are to love those that are unlovely. We are... We're to overcome evil with what? Good. So many times we let the evil, we allow the evil to destroy us in our Christian testimony. Because we're so hurt. We're so, either so hurt or we're so bitter that we feel like we've we got to get back at that person. They have hurt me so deeply. I, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. And yet Paul tells us to overcome evil with, with good. Notice what our text says here, verse 44. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. In other words, their bad behavior doesn't justify your bad behavior. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you and again I, I want us to look at this from the standpoint of living in America I've uh, I've never been persecuted in that way I had someone answer the door with stuck a shotgun out the door in my face one time and all I was doing was in there knocking on doors inviting them to church and See the double-barrel shotgun and what do you want? But that wasn't real persecution. That wasn't against me. I've had some pretty strong arguments with people about Christian doctrine, but uh, that uh, that wasn't really persecution. So how, how do you deal with it when someone really slaps you around physically? just stomps you in the ground. How you, how you want to deal with people like that, that really persecute you? The hardest thing I think I'd, I know up to that point that I'd ever done is shortly after I was saved. And having been in bar fights, and the drunker I got, the meaner I got, Pulled up to SMS College there in Springfield. They're on National Street. Pulled up to a stoplight and just before that there was a group of those college kids and they started this weaving in and out and cutting in front of you and you go around and what have you and we pulled up the stoplight and uh, they began to display physically some of their displeasure and cussing me out and uh, and believe me, it's something I would have never taken before. And I said i will never forget—sitting there at that stoplight, thinking I can't do this. I, I mean, I had a gun in the car and a ball bat in the car. I played, still playing ball. I'm—I could have done a lot of damage, but it'd been stupid for me to do that, all because of, of those empty words that they were using. I remember it wasn't but a month or two after moving to Houston. I almost got into it with some jerk down here on Highway 59 that was you know did a passing cut around in front of me like cutting me off and I honked the horn I got right on his tail end in Mottavia and so we started that and Finally, he pulled over to the side, and finally it hit me. What's this going to look like? Pastor of local church arrested for (laughs) fighting out on Highway 59. But I mean, I was, that I'd pull over behind him. I was that close, and I decided I've got to get out of here. We're talking about persecution. People that hate you. You've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Listen, I've taken a blow full in the face before by a fist, and I've been hurt ten times worse by words than I ever have by a blow to the face. Words can hurt. They do hurt. Words can destroy And he says, those that persecute you, those that hate you, that curse you, bless them. Do good to those that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you. Now notice verse 45, and I want you to notice the reason, this is why it's so very important. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Our difference from the world reveals our true identity. Now, don't misunderstand that. He's not talking about that in the doing of these things that we become a child of God. That's not what that's saying. He's talking about us being recognized as a child of God. Others seeing that we are indeed a child of God that we're giving evidence to them by the fact that we bless those that curse us, that we're good to those that hate us. We pray for those that would prosecute uh, persecute us. Notice in verse 45, when He gives us the reason that others can see that we really are the real deal, when we claim to be a Christian. In verse number 45, it tells us here that God's goodness toward the world. God does what? He's good toward what? The very kind of people that He's talking about. Your Father, for He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, we are to respond to them just as God has responded to to our needs. How did He respond? By grace. Unmerited love. This is a picture of grace He's giving us here. He said, if you love others just because they love you, what have you done more than the publicans? I mean, they do that. He's telling us the standard is that we love our enemies, that we bless those that curse us, that we do good to people that hate us, and pray for those that would despitefully use us or, or persecute us. So why does God do what He does when He's good to the evil and, and those that are not the just and the unjo- why? Why does God do that? Romans two four tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to re- to repentance. The goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When I started going to church, I didn't need anyone. I I, I, I couldn't give you a definition of sin. I'd never really attended church. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know much about it. But I knew there was something really messed up in my life in my head. I knew I wasn't the kind of person that I needed to be. I need I knew something needed to to change. And I was at a point of desperation in my life where everything's out of control. didn't understand any of the theology, but I knew that I was what any sensible person would call a sinful sinful person. And I'll never forget Brother Hankins that day preaching Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. That he loved us in that while we were yet sinners while we were yet sinners. Now, if he said, if he said, now, he loves us, you know, when we're we're there in church and we're trying to do good. But while we're yet sinners, started talking about we could come to Christ just like we are. And I was a mess. Uh, And I came to him just as I was and he changed who I am. And he does that to every person that comes to him. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God. God didn't owe me anything. Only by God's mercy that He he didn't literally destroy me. Only by God's grace that He was willing to receive me and give me what I don't deserve. Now that's why God does what He does. And notice the result. When you and I, when when we answer our critics by doing as God did to us, Whenever we bless those that curse us, whenever we do exactly the opposite of what our fleshly nature wants to do, and we do what the Bible tells us when He says that we are to love our enemies and pray for our enemies, the result, verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Don't misunderstand You can consider this as a command, you can consider it as a promise, but that word perfect means to be brought to completion. It means to be fully accomplished. It's not talking about you and I becoming little gods. It's not talking about us becoming exactly like God to the extent that we no longer sin because we're going to to fall short as long as we're here upon this earth. We're going to fail. Every Christian's going to act out of character sometimes. It happens to all of us. Therefore, be you therefore perfect, even as your Father. I've often said, you know that writing pastor's pen and I'd put inviting people to church and I'd close with a comment like this. We're not a perfect church but we want to be. We want to be. I mean we want to be the very best that we can be for the Lord. And the Lord wants us to to reach a level of spiritual maturity where we are willing to What? Love our enemies. Pray for those that persecute us. That we're willing to do as He demands, not as the flesh requires. And and notice, this matter of living the Christian life that will answer our critics is not a matter of just tolerating them, just putting up with them. This takes an active, aggressive approach on our part overcome evil with good. Kathy, will know who I'm talking about when I say years ago in a different state, a different church. I had a woman, in fact, uh, at at that time, she was uh, a big part of the church, made up her family. And uh, she was playing the piano in the church. I hadn't been there a month or two. And uh, anyway, I learned about something going on out out in the parking lot. And this woman and uh, her close family, she said, I'll tell you what. And she was screaming it out. I'm sick and tired of this pastor said the last pastor I prayed for God to remove from here died. And I'm praying that God will get rid of this one. I hadn't been there in no time. All I'd done is preach the word of God. That's they didn't like that. Well, what do you what do you do in a case like that? Well, it so happened it wasn't long after that that a preacher named Johnny Sanders pastored in a little place called Bemis, Tennessee. And we went deer hunting. And so I I decided, and I'd heard that they liked deer meat, and so uh, I decided I'm going to take them some deer meat over there. And I did. I just said somebody, I didn't get into that row out there. I didn't have to because I had a former pastor's daughter that took up for me and uh, attacked her in the parking lot and rebuked her publicly out there for criticizing her pastor so i didn't have to defend myself god took care of that right there but i wanted to know them to know that look i'm not angry with you and i took it over there i didn't comment on the issue just said somebody said y'all like deer meat here it is we killed a deer and here's some deer meat and walked away I don't know whether they ever really liked me after that or not, but at least we didn't have no more blow-ups out in the parking lot. Now, I know I'm just rambling right now, but I'm doing it for a reason. I'm just simply saying that all of us in our everyday life, whether it's at school, on the job, in the church, you know, we keep talking about out there, out there, if you... If all of you knew everything that Brother Kenneth and I know by way of things that go on, and thank God you don't, and, and, and God helping us, you never will. You'd be amazed at the stuff that goes on uh, that some people don't, will never know anything about. And we wonder, why, why, how come so-and-so hadn't, how come they dropped out? Or where have they been? I haven't seen them in a year. And if you really want to finish the sentence out, I haven't seen them in a year, and I, I'm not going to check up on them either. Well, I don't know. I thought they were going to really stick. They came for six months or so, and then uh, they left. Uh, I wonder whatever happened to them. Get your cell phone out. Get a church directory. Call them. And there are those that, you know, that they feel hurt. They feel uh, feel like that... uh, People have been unfair with them or whatever. We never have an excuse for not demonstrating love toward other people regardless of what they've done. He loved us in that while we were yet sinners. And if we're going to answer our critics, we're going to have to demonstrate that love that causes us to bless others to do good to others to pray for others and if we'll do that we'll be amazed at the great things that god will do with us for us through us and helping us reach others can you think of someone today they've not treated you right it's been so unfair And you've allowed that to drive a wedge between you and them. Are you going to just leave that there? Or are you going to make an effort? Let me tell you, you can't live peaceably with everybody. Paul says, "As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with everyone." But some people never be your friend. They'll never treat you right. They don't. They don't want your forgiveness they don't want your help they don't want your love they don't want anything to do with you but we have a responsibility to do our best to not give them just cause that's why the bible so often tells us that we are to be blameless to live in such a way that no indictable charge can be brought against us that nobody can ever say well he didn't love me he didn't treat me right Even if they live and die without us ever being able to convince them of the doctrines that we hold so dear, God help us to live in such a way where they say, I didn't believe a thing he said except for the fact that I knew he really did care about me. What about it today? How are you going to answer your critics How are you going to deal with those that that are without Christ or those that have animosity toward you? The Lord says, even as I have loved you. Remember when he got his, by the way, when he said that, there, there in John, and he's talking to his disciples, and in reality, he's speaking there to the first church. Those men, he said, first, some in the church of the word, the apostles, that established the first church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, in that you love, now think about it, in that you love all people, and he didn't say that. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, and that ye love one another. And boy, I'll tell you as a church, we should never ever give any reason for the people in our community to doubt whether we love each other or not. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're right in the middle of a mess of some kind, or maybe there's just one issue and it's with a family member and they're a hundred miles away and You just don't know what to do. Well, ask God to help you because, let me tell you, that's the standard. But without Christ, it's an impossible standard. That's why I've often said, God requires us to live a miracle every day because I cannot, on my own, pray for those that persecute me. I I, I can't do it on my own. I, I can't. I can't be nice and do unto others, you know, on my I can't do it. Neither can you if you get down and be honest about it. If you don't think I'm right, just walk up and slap Shelly after the church is over and see if something don't happen. Yeah. Absolutely not going to put up with that. And we all face those times in our life where we're up against it, and somebody we we. I, I'm I know I know what what the Bible said, Brother Stone, Brother Kenneth preached that. I'm, I'm not putting up with that, no sir, not me. Well, I've come to learn that God's way is the best way, and the only only way you and I can ever do these things to give the proper answer to our critics is to live by the book. And we can't do it without God's help. And He wants to help us. Let Him help you this morning while we all stand together. Brother David joined to come and we're going to extend an invitation. If you're here today, you've maybe the struggle you're going through is the fact that you've never received Christ as your Savior. It might be that you're like I was so many years ago You've never really been in church much. You don't know much about it. You've never read the Bible, but you, you know deep down in your heart that there's something really wrong in your life. And today, we can take the Bible and show you exactly what that is and why it is and what to do about it. Would you come while we sing?